Those of you who listen regularly will know that we've been talking a lot about guilt and its evil cousin, shame. In all the work I do, I'm looking not just for strategies for listeners, but also answers for me. How can I feel better and escape the guilt of not being able to do it all? And this time, it's really personal. I've teamed up with You Are Not A Frog regular coach and relationship expert Karina Gordon-Barnes to talk about how to deal with all those difficult emotions which arise when parenting, and specifically how to do it as a working mum in a high-stress job with a demanding work life as well as home life. We talk about just why we so quickly feel like we're not good enough, the challenges of trying to do it all and the constant tug of war between work, home and having enough time to properly look after ourselves. In this episode, we are focusing on working mothers trying to operate within traditional family units. But the issues we talk about in this episode are important for everyone. Whether you're a mum or not, you'll certainly be working with a few and if you're bringing up children on your own, then the challenges may be even greater and getting a decent work-life balance even tougher. So listen to this episode if you want to know why being a mother can be so challenging and hit so many of our stress and worry buttons and why some of the touchy-feely fluffy memes you see on social media about how wonderful it is to be a mum can be so irritating and so unhelpful. And learn a simple five-word phrase that you can use to get out of an overthinking spiral when you feel shame or guilt about how you are parenting. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals in high-stress, high-stakes jobs. I'm Dr Rachel Morris, a former GP, now working as a coach, trainer and speaker. Like frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, many of us don't notice how bad the stress and exhaustion have become until it's too late. But you are not a frog. Burning out or getting out are not your only options. In this podcast, I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts and inviting you to make a deliberate choice about how you will live and work so that you can beat stress and work happier. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash getyourlifeback. So hi, I'm Karina Gordon-Barnes. I've been coaching for 18 years. Uh, I'm a certified coach, a professional certified coach with the International Coach Federation and uh, love helping all people, but especially mums. There is something about mums, um, helping mums trying to figure it all out, you know, all the things, all the balls we're juggling. Um, How do we put it all together? So it's brilliant to have you back, Karina. You've been on several times now to the podcast, uh, I think, because you've just got this great way of approaching stuff, which is when I first started talking to you, it was real news to me. as you well know, and I found it incredibly helpful. And so I wanted to get you back today to specifically talk about being a mum and how hard it is, if I'm honest. Yes. And why it's so hard, actually. 
yeah. interestingly I've got I've got three kids myself I'm a mum to three and my oldest is 18 and is doing A-levels and my middle one is 16 and doing GCSEs and my youngest is 13 and just about to do a flute exam so we've got <laughs> we've got triple exam in my house at the wow. moment and it's it's mm. it's slightly stressful and mm. I must say I think I'm telling myself quite a few stories about what a crappy mother I am because mm. maybe some of us aren't handling it quite as well mm. as we ought to but you look at it actually of course it's going to be stressful right it's going to yeah. be a really stressful time but but for some reason as a mother we seem to take on all the stress the shame the guilt the angst the worry and I haven't really met many mums who come up to me and go yeah I'm having a great time being a mum I'm nailing it I'm, I'm <laughs> getting it right it's brilliant <laughs> so you know I mean you're a mum do am. you feel like that or I, I think you're so I think you're so right to start with that that parenting is unspeakably hard I had no idea before I had children you know people would talk wouldn't they about how hard parenting was and there was always that part of me <laughs> that was like yeah well yeah, you're yeah. probably yeah, you're right. probably doing something wrong aren't you really you know there's that kind of like I'm sh I'm sure that it can't be as hard as you make out it is but newsflash it actually truly is no, it's harder uh, it's harder <laughs> much harder it's do you know what and there's a there's a few reasons aren't there that I think that it's so hard one of the key ones for me is that is the relentlessness of it that there is just no break no proper proper true break where you can go okay I think I'll just have a, an annual leave for a couple of weeks you don't you don't you don't get that um so I have a three-year-old a one-year-old uh, and we lost our first baby um so I've been on that journey as well so I'm at the other end of the spectrum from you so we can cover between us the whole range of what's of what's tricky in in parenting and yeah I think uh, you know looking at shame today specifically because there are so many expectations that we have within ourselves about the parent that we want to be and then that we imagine other people have for us and I think one of the big things that we do is we compare and we compare with these two places we compare with what we think other people are doing and there's that classic about we're comparing our internal experience with what we see on the outside of other people's experiences, which is not truth. It's just the very one dimensional Instagram friendly version or, you know, not even Instagram. People that we're friends with who say, no, yeah, it's great. No, everything's fantastic. Wonderful. And it's because they don't want to take their guard down and say, God, I'm struggling so much. So we compare with what we think other people are experiencing and we find ourselves to be deficient in comparison. And then we're comparing with that ideal image in our minds that we had maybe before we were parents or that we have daily as parents where we're constantly missing the mark of, oh, if only I had said that, if only I had done that, I wish I had been kinder there or more patient here or I wish I'd wanted to play with my son when he wanted me to get down and play dragons and trains and bin trucks for the 20th time that day. Or, you know, like there's this image of who we think we should be as a parent and we are not that often. Hmm. I'd like to go straight in there, Karina, and ask you, do you think that certain mums are... Well, I was going to say worse for this, but that sounds like a bit of a shaming, judgmental thing. But do you think some some mums are more pro are more prone to this type of comparison, internal perfectionism, et cetera, et cetera? Because I'm 
used to be a GP. I've got lots of friends who are doctors. Lots of our listeners work in high stress jobs, are doctors, nurses, healthcare practitioners who work incredibly hard and have very high standards for themselves at work. And I can't help thinking that that probably just trickles into home life and they have these then impossibly high standards for themselves at home. Do you think that's just true for everybody or certain types of people? I think you're onto something there. I mean, I, I have worked with clients across all sectors, all fields, all ages, and I do see it across the board. But I do think that if you are somebody who is prone to perfectionism, to a lot of self-criticism anyway, you know, in your work, if you're someone who who cares, who truly does care and want to help people and be of service and good to other people, then yes, when it comes to parenting, yes, possibly you can maintain that for a 12 hour shift, or for, you know, five days of the week, or all these kind of discrete amounts of time, but the constancy of parenting, um, who can maintain that? Well, I think we think we can, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's like we think we can be completely perfect when we're doing a 120 hour shift over the weekend and not you know, and not mm-hmm. drop anything, even though you haven't had any sleep or keep going for 24 hours or, or see 70 patients a day. I think it's a, I think it's the same thing. And I also mm-hmm. think that, well, thinking back to when I had very small children, I never made any allowances yeah. for the fact I'd just been on call for the day and then got home and then had to do bath and bed because my husband was away and I had no break. I never would think to myself, oh gosh, give yourself a break. Let's make things easy. I still had the same standard for myself on those days as I did on, on the days that I had off and I was feeling much more relaxed. And then if something went wrong or I felt a bit at the end of my tether or just got pushed a little bit too far and was a bit snappy, completely beat myself. Well, frankly, I still do. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's nothing like teenagers to push your buttons. Let's, let's face it. But then yeah. just feeling absolutely awful and absolutely beating up on myself because of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the that's really what we're looking at is, yes, OK, so we uh, and I like to divide it into four areas. We think we feel we say we do something that we feel shame about the 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 thinking, feeling, saying, doing it is one thing. It's then, you know, how we experience the shame about what it was that we just thought, felt, said or did. That's the bit where we can really um, uh, free ourselves because that's that's where we hurt ourselves by the stories that we tell ourselves about what we just thought, felt, said, or did, you know? And I think, you know, if we have a thought, let's say we have a thought like, oh, my life was so much better before children. Or we have a feeling like, oh, I'm so bored playing this game with my child. Or we say something, um, something that we might just find horrific later, like we might say to a child, oh, sometimes I wish you weren't here. You know, and then afterwards it's that shame of, oh my gosh, did I just say that to my beloved child? Or we do something like we're a little bit angry and we just think, oh, I wish I hadn't done that thing. Yes, it would be wonderful to have a time machine and to be able to go back and undo that thing we just thought, felt, said, did, but we don't have that. So what are we left with? Compassion, a bit of self-understanding, self-empathy, challenging some of those beliefs some of those underlying beliefs about who we think we should be um, and normalizing, you know, what, what is normal actually across the board is that all parents are thinking, feeling, saying, doing things, which they 
feel shame about. And in a minute, I'd like to just go and dig deep into shame because I'm talking a lot about shame at the moment. And it seems to be something that's coming up all over the place with saying no, with parenting, with relationships, all that sorts of thing. But I was just reflecting, you know, the thing that I think I beat myself up about the most is almost like if I've got work to do or I'm, I'm on my phone or emailing a friend and my child wants something and I can't meet their needs is then thinking, oh, what will I think to myself in 20 years time? I'll look back and kick myself. I didn't do more. I wasn't more present. I wasn't this. I wasn't that. And then that's just adding on even more guilt and regret and shame before I haven't even had that regret, but I'm, <laughs> I'm predicting that I am going to regret it. And that's making me feel even worse. Yeah. And sometimes these things look really helpful. Like there's, there's often uh, goes around on social media. You only get 18 summers oh. with your children. Make sure you m- make the most of every single moment. And, you know, sometimes that kind of messaging can seem helpful, can feel helpful because it does it does have us put our phones down if we are just literally mindlessly scrolling or just kind of caught up in things. And we're like, oh, no, this is this moment's precious. Let's be here now. More often than not, I think exactly as you say, it it just makes us <laughs> it just adds another layer of of, of self um, judgment and shame to to what we're already experiencing. Yeah. I'm glad you said that actually because I I really react to stuff like that when it when it gets posted because you know anything about all oh, the golden years aren't they mm. so wonderful and all that because actually I found it really 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 hard yeah and yeah obviously I I love my children to bits but I didn't love it when they were toddlers yeah. I really didn't I've got a friend who loves toddlers <laughs> she actually <laughs> does I love little babies yeah I could have a baby snuggle Aww. on me but toddlers fine you know yeah. I loved mine but I don't really like anybody else's sorry yes okay. <laughs> when, they're a bit, when they're a bit older it's yeah. better yeah. Um, and that's just that but then I see all this stuff and I feel so guilty for thinking mm. I didn't make the most of it. I didn't really enjoy it but then I look back at what I was coping with mm. was a pretty full-time job husband away all the time kids very close together various mm. relatives really very ill so having to support those as well parents that lived a long way away and you think, oh, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, look what you were coping with. But at the time, you yeah. don't, you don't look at it. You just beat yourself up for the fact you're not coping very well. Yeah, and your honesty is so refreshing because so many people don't enjoy toddlers. Many people don't enjoy the baby years. I did not enjoy pretty much any moment of the first six weeks for sure. Um, you know, uh, now with my youngest being one, I'm like, thankfully passing on all the, you know, the cots and the, the things, the little people things like, oh, liberated from. And I think people saying, I don't enjoy this is absolutely critical because otherwise we feel like we're the only one. And that's the, that's the kind of grip of shame is that I am the only one feeling this way. What a terrible person I am that feeling it's just me because that shame really thrives on um, isolation and kind of secrecy. Mm. There doesn't seem to be any acknowledgement of, of people's differences. I always think there's people who put the fluffy kittens on social media with those, <laughs> oh, you only get 80 summers, let's make the most of it. Um, they're very different personalities to me. <laughs> and I, this was brought home. I, I, I attended a sort of toddler group when the, when the kids were little and we used to sort of go off and have little chats. And we did this book called Mother Styles. And 
essentially it was a Myers-Briggs profiling for mums and it was like what are you and it looked at what your MBTI profile was and what your ideal ideal day would be and I had a friend who's very outgoing very sociable life and soul of the party and when we looked at our ideal day she was like I'd get up we'd be in our pajamas till one in the afternoon. We'd just be chilling out. We'd watch a few bits and pieces on the telly. We'd bake together. And then my husband would come home, we'd have a lovely meal and go to bed. And I looked at it and I went, oh my goodness. That is description of my worst possible day. <laughs> in home with the kids. No, not even got dressed, haven't gone out anywhere. Haven't seen it, haven't had any adult conversation, you know. But... <laughs> But until then, mm. I had been, because I didn't like just being at home quietly with the children. I needed that social interaction. This, my friend is a complete introvert mm. and I hadn't, I hadn't realized that. Yeah. And then I suddenly went, oh my goodness, we're different. I had taken that to be, I'm a bad mother because I don't right. like that. And it wasn't, we, we are just different. And mm. when you're in isolation, you don't realize that it is just a different preference. Mm. But we're so quick. Why is it that we're so quick to internalize those stories of, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not right. They're doing it. They're doing it better than me. Is that just like this hardwired into us so that mm. we always on edge or trying to make ourselves better? That it is our default, right? Often for, for, for yeah. many of, for many of us. What I like, you know, when you were talking then, I was thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be so lovely if we could all just say parenting is really hard and, and mostly quite rubbish. And then we could be pleasantly surprised, right? By like these moments of beauty where, you know, I'm like there with my with my son and he's just like the, the clarity of his eyes and he's just so innocent and his clear little skin and the way that he asks these beautiful questions. And I could be like, oh, that's a surprise. Rather than expecting parenting to be wonderful, I can expect it to be hard. <laughs> and then I, it could be a, a, a nice, pleasant surprise. Now, I like that because if you listen to anything by Mo Gordat, who was, I think it was the chief technical officer for Google, who's written a book called Soul for Happy and has done some amazing stuff recently on podcasts and things. He literally looked for an equation to work out how to be happy. And his equation was literally this. Now, I'm probably going to get it wrong, <laughs> but happiness equals reality minus expectations. Mm. so if your expectations are too high you're going to be really miserable but if they're pretty low <laughs> it's gonna yeah. be good yeah yeah and I, and I think and I think we have to be so honest don't we? and this is why these kind of conversations are so important so that other mums go I don't really enjoy parenting much of the time do you no I don't really I actually quite like going to work because it gives me a bit of an escape from parenting do you yeah and I really had a journey with this as a as a parent who had lost a child because I then came into my next pregnancy feeling like I had to feel so grateful all the time for this experience because I had already lost. And, and I wonder if people around me also felt like this, that by contrast to losing a baby, gosh, well, surely every second then should feel so magical and so wonderful. And I remember going to a, it was a baby loss um, toddler group. It was for parents what's called sunshines and rainbows and it was for those who had had a child either before or after loss so everybody there had experienced loss and then they'd either you know had an older or a younger child and there was one mum there who I knew had lost and she just was so miserable with her two children and I at that point was pregnant with my second 
So this was hopefully going to be my first living baby. I thought I had to feel grateful all the time. And there she was having lost before. And she was really miserable. And she was, you know, complaining about the toddler and, oh, I'm so fed up of breastfeeding this one. And, oh, God. And she just was moaning and complaining the whole time. And I felt like it was sacrilege. Like, how could you not be anything but just glowing and thank goodness that I have these these children. And I realized what a pressure I was putting on myself that I had to be so grateful. And of course, we're grateful for our children. And of course, it's amazing. And we are so, so fortunate. Yes. And we don't have to feel it every minute of every day. You know, pregnancy, I pretty much hated it really, really sucked. And I remember talking with a friend of mine who had been unable to conceive and feeling ashamed that I would say, oh, I hate being pregnant when I knew she would give anything to be pregnant. So I think there's something about letting ourselves feel the unpleasantness of things, knowing that that doesn't make us bad people, that doesn't make us ungrateful people. It's just the reality that these things can be both wonderful and hard at the same time. Yeah, and I'd like to pick up on this, Karina, because we've mentioned shame quite a lot and you've mentioned just, I felt ashamed. How, How can we feel these negative emotions without feeling ashamed that's my that's my core question I'm trying to find Mm. out in all sorts of ways so Mm. shame is such a destructive thing it's such a toxic thing firstly can you just tell us a bit about what you understand shame is yes I feel like shame the best way to sum it up is where you can't really meet someone else's eyes because you feel that you because of who you are So not even just what you've done, but kind of who you fundamentally are is in some way unworthy, that you somehow don't deserve that connection with someone. Again, maybe because of what you've you've, you've thought, felt, said or done. So it's that feeling that makes you just want to hide away. Um, And it might physically show up as a kind of sinking feeling or a shying away feeling or just like, oh, my gosh, I want the world to swallow me up. And nobody will relate because this is just me being fundamentally deficient, some fundamentally flawed in some you know, basic way, unworthy of connection, which then, of course, means that we don't seek out the connection that would be the antidote mm. to feeling shame. Mm. Yeah, so it's about believing that you are not enough. You are flawed. You are deficient. And someone once someone said to me recently, it's when you have done something that's conflict with your own internal values. So then you feel ashamed. So if my value is to be kind and I am unkind, I feel really ashamed. Mm. My value isn't to be incredibly fit and agile. (laughs) And if someone accused me of not being, or Mm. I felt I wasn't, I wouldn't Mm. feel ashamed at all. I just feel, (laughs) it is a shame that I'm not, (laughs) but I'm not ashamed that I'm not. It has to be an internal value that you hold very dear, doesn't it? For you to then feel ashamed. So if you're telling yourself the story that I, I need to be a good, and a good mother is kind, a good mother Mm. spends time yeah it's patient and yeah. and gentle and all those things that a woman mm. should be yes gentle selfless kind selfless loving and then if I am at the end of my tether and do mm. something that isn't selfless uh yeah. I will feel really ashamed about that 
Yeah, I leave my child crying for a little bit longer because I want to finish my cup of tea. That is no, no, no. That's because not it's not just our own values, is it? It's also kind of as you were as you were saying there, really, what society is saying, what the social norms are for that particular group. So women, mothers being a very specific group that society has lots of um, underlying beliefs about. And and not just about mothers, but about, you know, our setup as well. So, for example, we have um we have beliefs like um, divorce is is bad for children, right? We have a kind of a societal belief around that. So then if we are in a relationship that is abusive or is not serving us in some way, well, the society belief is still that, well, children need two parents or they need a solid, that might keep us in a relationship longer than is, is safe or that is um, right for us. Mm. So I was going to ask you, as you were saying that, can can we feel ashamed if our actions are hitting a value that we don't really hold dear? Hmm. Can somebody, you know, can can you be ashamed about something you don't really care about or not? It has to be something you really care about. I think it does. I think it has to be a belief that you, I think it has to be a, a social norm that you have genuinely bought into that you believe and have taken on as as your own so let's imagine that someone um this isn't my situation but let's say someone said to me oh have you not trained your have you not potty trained your child yet and they kind of had some judgment about it and my child was a certain age now that's not going to bother me if I'm completely happy with the age at which I'm potty training my child but if I've had my own internal oh I really should have done it by now oh he's getting a bit old now to be wearing nappies still then it's like it's not that that person is shaming me but that person is kind of touching a sore point for me so a really helpful um five word question that I like to use with this if someone says something to me and I feel that burn of kind of self-criticism shame um rather than thinking that they did that to me I can ask myself did I think that first? Did I think, oh gosh, I really should have potty trained him by now. Or let's say I've decided to formula feed my child and someone makes a judgment of that about me. Well, did I think it first that it wasn't what I should be doing? Because that's where I can look and I don't need to worry about what other people are judging me for. It's about me making peace with my decisions, my choices as a parent. So what if you did think it first? Yeah, well, then then we know that that person isn't shaming us. So we just get to step out of victim mode rather than saying they shamed me and feeling victimized by that. We can say, OK, they've pointed out, they've pointed to something here that actually I'm not at peace with here. And how can I get myself to peace with that? Well, there's a few ways I can question some of the underlying assumptions. Um, like if a child isn't potty trained by the age of mm, that means something and we can just question like is that true is that really what's going on um we can question that we can also um just find compassion for ourselves one thing that we can do is to look at ourselves maybe literally in a mirror i get it You'll push for time and with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, 
Brilliant Badger or Mighty Mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. As if we would look at a friend and have that eye to eye with ourselves because because shame makes us want to kind of look away. Look at, you know, I am, let's say, for example, I lost my temper with my child. I said some things that in a clear mind, I wouldn't say. And I can look myself in the eyes. I can own that with myself. I can be in relationship with myself, owning that. And then how would I talk to my best friend about this? You know, you did the best you could in that moment. When you know better, you do better. If you could do better, you would do better. What do you need to do better? Do you need more sleep? Probably yes. (laughs) Can you get it? Probably no. (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to be able to get that sleep? Probably no. Okay, so have compassion with yourself. You are running on, you know, you're running on empty. What is it you would say to your best friend? You're running on empty. You're doing the best you possibly can. That one action will not define you as a parent. It will not damage your child forever. It's about getting that perspective as well. I think that's so important, that that self-compassion. I have actually started putting my hand on my heart going, oh, you poor, of course you're like that. Of course you're, of course you're yeah. knackered and snappy. Look what you've just had to put up with. <laughs> yes. Of course, of course. And that really helps me. And that I, is, and that that you're pointing to there is that reparenting idea that is really becoming popular I'm just seeing it everywhere at the moment this idea of reparenting ourselves like that because did our parents bless them they were doing the best they could did they say to us things like you know bless you gosh you're doing the best you can or did they say you shouldn't be feeling that or you should have done better or the classic you should be ashamed of yourself you know were we literally given shame as like you should be ashamed (laughs) like you should take shame on and run with it may have been the messaging we got mm. so can yeah, have, we have a massive dollop of shame because it's going to do you so much good it's <laughs> such a good motivator <laughs> and that, you know and that to go back to your question of you know why is it our default because for some of us that is what our parents and teachers at school I remember, you know remember very distinctly I can hear a teacher saying you should be ashamed of yourself for whatever it was that you know as children we did um so can we reparent ourselves can we have that compassionate compassion with ourselves and parent ourselves in that way one thing I think that people who are working very hard lots of medic mums lots of people who work full-time or even I'm going to say medic mums who are working less than full-time which is pretty much full-time I'm thinking teachers lawyers all these people who've gone back to work they want to maintain their career um they feel really I'm not saying ashamed is the word but they feel really guilty around things like working late, around things like not being there all the time, like having to put their kid in childcare, having to get in people to come and help, being late to to pick up even when it's not their fault, all that sort of thing. I think there is so much shame laid on top of the guilt that comes with being a mother with with a job. And sometimes it feels like you've got no choice either way. Now, obviously, we all have a choice about whether we work, whether we we don't work. 
but we're talking about sort of within the choices that we've made to have a family, we might then have a partner who is not taking on their share of the responsibility. All the childcare then falls on us. And in fact, I was doing a podcast with someone the other day and they were like, what's your biggest bit of advice as a working mum? It's like, get good childcare. I mean, literally, mm. literally get good childcare because so many yes. of us have just cocked some box with the childcare thinking, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll just sort of sort it out and then taken all the pain and the responsibility of having to get to the, that place in time for pickup, having to organise it, having to sort it out when the babysitter drops out, all those all those sorts of things without sharing it out equally, without yeah. actually knowing that we can do it and then feeling guilty when it falls through and feeling completely irresponsible. But anyway, that's a bit of a bit of a mm. side note. But there is so much shame and guilt and worry and fear when it comes to childcare and work and being a working mum I mean I know you're a working mum but I know you mm -hmm. set it up very differently but have you experienced mm -hmm. any of that sort of stuff mm. and so for people who haven't listened to us before the reason that it is different for me is I'm married to a woman and that is so refreshing in terms of this conversation because there were no there were no assumptions about who was going to be doing what and so this is what I would offer that if you are in a, a heterosexual relationship and try and think of it as if you had no genders. And, and so therefore, what would you both, if you are in a partnership, what would you both be doing in terms of what are your strengths? So I know in terms of, um, you know, our, my relationship with, with my wife, when it came to children, we started looking at, well, what do we enjoy? What, what are we not so good at? And so like, she's amazing with the laundry. She'll do the laundry. I love going to play groups. She's not so keen. So we kind of just like, okay, what do you like? What do you not like? What are you good at? What are you not good at? And it's those conversations. It's those, that's how decisions are made rather than, oh, you're the woman, you do this. You're the man, you do this. And I think for many of us, the problem is it's deeply ingrained gender stereotypes, yes. isn't it? Absolutely. Even, no matter how feminist you are, yes, you still feel guilty if yeah. the man is doing a big amount of childcare, even if it's not even equal, even if you're doing the lion's yes. share, you still feel a bit, oh, do you mind if I go to the gym or do you mind if I do this? Is that okay? Yeah. Why are we asking? And yeah. you know, my, my biggest bane is when people describe their partner as babysitting. It's like, you are not babysitting, you are looking after your child. But um, yeah. it is deeply, deeply ingrained in it even is. the most feminist of us, isn't it? Yeah, I think I, I see that across the board. Definitely this idea that you're, if you're a woman, your male partner is helping with the housework or helping with the childcare, which obviously assumes that it is your responsibility in the first place, that someone else kind of steps into, you can offload to, but that you are the one having that default responsibility. What do you do if the woman really is expected to do more childcare, even if they're working and the man maybe, as their traditional role in the family is really to do none. And some of us are are in relationships like that, where yeah. that is the cultural norm and it's expected from our parents, from our children, yeah. from our wider relatives, yet we're still trying to cope with this really yes. busy job. I mean, what, what do yes. you do in that sort of situation? Well, I think if you're talking about medic mums and built into that very identity is the fact that you have an incredibly high pressure, highly skilled career. Um, and so it, it just, it, it cannot conform to traditional um, dynamics where a woman wouldn't have had 
uh, a high pressure, highly skilled career. So we're, we're just in different. I think everybody, it's worth looking at your own individual situation and and questioning any unhelpful beliefs. And by questioning, I, I truly just mean asking, is it true? So let's say um, in our relationship, it's important for the woman to do more childcare than the man. Is it true? Is it true? And to just literally ask that three word question, is it true? Is, is that the truth for our relationship? Rather than things being unquestioned because then they're assumptions. Is it true that, I don't know, whatever the other, whatever other assumptions there might be, any other default unquestioned aspects of a relationship or a family, they can all be questioned. What if my partner won't mm. accept me questioning and mm. in their mind, that's the traditional role that they take as well? Yeah. What do I do? Then? Well, yeah, I mean, the first step with any kind of effective communication is to try to hear them and see where they are coming from. So it might look like something like saying, you know, I really, I really, really, truly get that this is what you were brought up with and that this is the dynamic that you expected in your marriage and in your family. Um, I get that. And I can only imagine how how hard it is for you to to try to kind of get your head around this. Here's what's not working about the current situation for me. So it's like listening, empathizing with the other person, expressing, you know, here's, here's what's not working for me. This is um, what I would love instead. Can we together talk this through? So it becomes a very collaborative conversation. There's no blaming. You don't do enough. You know, I mean, that's never going to lead anywhere. You don't pull your weight. You don't do this. This. Where's that going to go? No one likes being talked to in that way. But can you meet someone um, in that space of collaboration? Yeah. Figuring it through together. It's really difficult, isn't it? And I think mm. there is that there is that conversation to be had and actually most people do respond pretty well in my household we have divided the jobs up so that I'm do the cooking and actually my other half he's brilliant he does all the laundry and that that is great we did yeah. swap it around for a bit but <laughs> after like five nights of toad in the hole I was like no I'm taking back the cooking <laughs> this is and not I, good and I think action you know action after that conversation so let's say we have that conversation let's say I have I have my husband and I'm saying to him I understand why it's hard for you to get your head around that it might need to be different. And here's why it's not working for me. And let's try this instead. I then need to follow through with that. Right. So I need to leave that laundry. If I'm in, if I'm you, I need to leave that laundry and not touch it. If the agreement is you'll do the laundry, I'll do the cooking, let's say, or you'll do pickups, you'll do pickups and you'll figure out the pickups, not just do them, but you'll take the mental load of doing the pickups. You then have to take your hands off and let it go a little bit wrong. You know, knowing that there's going to be backups, you know, if the kids aren't going to be left at nursery with, they're going to call somebody, you know, and maybe your phone's off and, the phone, and they have to phone your, your husband instead. Like you have to follow through yeah. with um, what you're saying needs to happen instead. That is such a good point. So many women I know pass on chores, but then, but then manage it all. So, you know, yeah. you're doing... Great, you're responsible for the football club and the pickup. So I have a friend who who has passed it on to her other half, but the other half isn't on the WhatsApp group. So she's having to manage it all. And I think so many times, and this is our own fault, we helicopter around making sure it is perfect. I remember another one of my friends 
what you know the other half hadn't done the laundry got fresh PE kit when they had been away for the weekend and they say they're up till three in the morning doing the laundry for the kids it's like no kids don't care if they go to school in dirty PE kit they really don't so let that consequence let your other half see that they've not done it and experience that consequence the problem is is when the children are experiencing the consequences yeah, and they so can they're live, being left they can, places or things like that. It's hard. It, it is hard, and they can live with it. I mean, obviously, we're not talking life and death situations yes. here. Kids can live with dirty laundry. They can live with not going to a certain club because someone forgets about that. You know, that can happen. So, in terms of the consequences at work, what do we do if a colleague doesn't perform their responsibilities? You know, we we are clearer about well, actually, this is your job and I'm doing my job actually I was working with a a couple they were both doctors and they were not having a good division of um, labor within the household and I said so you know what do you do at at work oh that's really clear we have a a, you know a very clear list of who's doing that each day and that helped them see that actually yeah they can divide out and then leave it to the other person and follow through with that not rescue and, and kind of helicopter in yeah I think we are our own worst enemies most of the times in all of this. I remember reading a very sexist article by Indian Knight, I think in the Times, called What Would a Man Do? So it's like if she went away for the weekend or something, her husband would just go, I'm hungry, kids, fish and chips. (laughs) Whereas we're like, oh, husband's away, right, got to cook really nice organic foods, make sure we have home cooked food or whatever. It's just like, oh, I don't know what to write, cinema, anyone, you know, so it's just like make we don't make things easy for ourselves because we have this ridiculous unrealistic expectation of what a good mother should be to live up to and most of the time I mean yes you might get some criticism from people but like you said you don't take criticism personally you don't feel ashamed by it if you've not already thought it yourself yeah (laughs) it's not already in your head it doesn't actually bother you we're almost running out of time but I did want to ask you because I think one of the main issues I have and I'm sure lots of listeners have is this guilt and shame of being at work and feeling we're not really doing a brilliant job with our work because we are trying to get everything done so we can get back to be with the kids and be with the kids and then we've got the guilt and shame of but I'm not there enough for my kids and being able to do everything I want to do for them so we're not feeling like performing well in either sphere yeah what do you do yeah what do you do with that empathy self-compassion it's that you know this is a an impossible situation it's that it's that real acknowledgement of you know it's like if you if you said to me I've got 20 books to give you and you have to fit them into your shelf and I and I have room for five books on my shelf I just I can't fit 20 books on my shelf it's not possible so I think to be able to say that to ourselves like this is an this is an impossible expectation I can't I can't do this. And and what is that good enough? Like, what is good enough? And can I have some kind of grace for myself? Can I have compassion for myself? Can I talk to myself as I would to a, a dear, dear friend and say, you're doing the best you can, the absolute best you can? I think there are some practical things we can do as well to help ourselves rather than, and I think we're really bad for this, is think we can fit all those 20 books onto the shelf. Just yeah. we'll, we'll squeeze in because we can because we're superhuman. No, you can't. And we all know time does not squeeze for anybody. Um, things like making sure you've nailed your childcare, you've got backup plans, you are giving yourself those, those buffers in when you've got to get 
to places, not taking on so many different projects out of guilt or shame or feeling that you ought to, or just yeah. being realistic about how your day has gone or going to go. And I think it was you, Karina, your phrase, catchphrase, I use all the time. It's, you can argue with reality, but 100% of the time, reality is going to win. Is that what, that's one of yours, I think. That is, it? it is Byron Katie, who is my great, great teacher and the master of, you know, making friends with reality. Yeah, you will a hundred, you will lose a hundred percent of the time if you argue with reality. Yeah. If you say uh, it should, I should be able to do it. It's, it's an argument can't. with reality. You can't. Yeah. And I um, had a, someone I was coaching once, she was a, a GP and um, she was found her days on call incredibly stressful. Um, and, and she felt she didn't have much control over how the days went in the practice. Um, then she'd get home and she felt like she was snapping at her kids and just not being a really great mum and just feeling the whole day just went pear shaped from the minute she got home. And we talked about, okay, well, what, what are you in control of? What could you do? And actually she realized that if she just talked to her partner and said, on the Monday evening when I come back from work, can you do the, the kids? You sort out the tea. You do it. That's your night. You're on. I'm going to go for a swim on my way home and I'll be much more relaxed when I get home and I can just go and give them a cuddle and a kiss and get them get into bed. And it transforms her week by just acknowledging mm. what was happening yeah. and doing rather than feeling shamed and guilty for not being the best mum on a Monday. She's like acknowledging reality and going, I actually can't be because like in your what would you say to your best friend of course you couldn't be you've yeah. just spoken to 70 patients <laughs> like you're not gonna have anything left for your family unless you just go chill out build yourself up first do a bit of exercise then you can get home and give them a hug and a kiss at bedtime because yeah. actually what's going to be better for them you being around for three hours but stressed and grumpy or you coming in for 10 minutes and being lovely and available Yes. And I think to add on to that, because that's a brilliant example, is I think often we worry about kind of messing our kids up, you know, that if we're not fully there with them and fully present, we're not going to give them somehow some, I don't know, something. Um, and actually they've looked, I believe they've looked at, researchers looked at relationships, um, parent, you know, being parented by Basically, what's better to be parented by someone who was so perfect, they were there for you all the time and, and all your needs were always met and you, know, you never wanted for anything versus parents who were incredibly human and and messed up a lot and repaired. And they showed you what, what repair looks like, which is like, you know, mama shouted at you earlier. That was not my best moment. I'm really, really sorry that I did that. I'm going to take care of X, Y, Z so that I don't do that next time. We're then modeling to our children the kind of relationships that actually we want for them to have in the future. We don't want them to feel that they have to be perfect parents in the in the future or they have to marry perfect partners in the future. We're showing that we're all human, we all mess up, we all get to repair, we all get to do tomorrow a little bit better maybe than today, or at least have a little bit more compassion for ourselves tomorrow than we did today. Hmm. I think that, that is so, so important. I'm definitely in that second category of mums mucked up again and again and again. But we, I think we think our kids have this expectation on always being there, always being perfect, that we think that's what they want. And I guess they would probably say that's that's what they wanted. I remember when my kids were really little, someone very wise sage said to me, by the way, toddlers uh, demand 110% of your attention. If you're giving them 50%, they'll want 60. If they, you're giving them 80, they'll want 90. If you're giving them 120, they'll want 150. You can <laughs> never give them enough attention. So mm -hmm. don't even try and win at that game. Mm -hmm. uh, but how you show up 
yeah is so so important and you know recently and I'll probably have to do a podcast on this soon you know I've, I've I've got myself to pretty burnt out state just because of work and everything coming on and the, the everything that's going on with the family blah 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 and it took someone saying to me you have got to start looking after yourself and spending some time on yourself I'm like, I can't possibly my family need me no you do it and after a month or so of doing that and a mother's day uh, meal and I have told this story in the podcast before so apologies to anyone who's already heard it but my husband asked the kids what do you particularly appreciate about your mum and um my son said well you're not nearly as stressed as you used to be mm. that was the one <laughs> and, you know my initial thought was what is that all you've got to say about me yeah thank you but let, let's let's realize he's a 16 year old boy you know so that, that's pretty good compliment that's pretty but, good I'll take that yeah right actually it's better for me not to be there and to be making and to be refueling and re-energizing mm. and making sure that I can be 100% there when I am yeah and kind of compassionate then to be there all the time and strung out and trying to be perfect and beating beating myself up yeah I I mean I I'm really imagining that that mum that you described who went for a swim on the way home like that's the mum that I want to tuck me in at night not mm. the one that's like running harried in because that's what she feels she has to do yeah. And kids don't actually like it when you're around 100% of the time anyway. <laughs> How can they Give get up to space. naughtiness if mum's <laughs> always around, right? <laughs> Especially when they're teenagers anyway, mm. probably shouldn't say that. Oh, Karina, gosh, we, we talk about this so much more, but what, what would your three top tips be for someone who is feeling a lot of guilt and a lot of shame around, around being a working mum and, and around the fact that they can't do it all and they can't yeah. argue with reality? What, what yeah. would help? So question some of the underlying beliefs. So identifying what are those underlying beliefs which are driving some of the uh, feelings, behaviors that aren't really working for you. So those might be um, beliefs like mums should, I don't know, cook home, home cooked meals every night or mums should be smiley or anything, anything at all that is making you, um, that believing that thought is having you feel shame. Question those thoughts. Is that true or could something else actually be true? Um, when it comes, number two is when it comes to comparisons, really look at what you're comparing with. So are you, are you actually comparing with other people's real lives as mums or is it what they're showing you as mums? And are you comparing with your own idealised version of a mum, which doesn't actually exist? It's just your imagination. Um, and three is gosh, have compassion for yourself and empathy with yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror, eye to eye, because that's that antidote to shame, being like, let's hide away and disconnect. Eye to eye in the mirror to say, I am doing the absolute best I can. If I could do better, I will do better. As I learn better, I'll do better. Uh, tomorrow's another day. You know, whatever it is that's going to have you have that conversation with yourself like you would have with a best friend. And stand, stand by yourself. You are, you are undoubtedly doing a brilliant job. Mm. Brilliant. Those are really, really helpful. I think my, my three tips just to add on to them would be number one, nail your childcare. Yes. Right? My biggest regret is that we didn't get a, a proper nanny who was there all the time that we just cocked some box with, with various things. And we, we could mm. have not done some holidays and paid for a nanny, frankly. There were, mm. there were decisions that we made that I think we could have done differently, which would have really helped me. <laughs> and my guess is that there was some kind of underlying belief, like what, is, what did it mean? You know, what was the story you made up about what, what it would mean if you had a nanny? 
that you weren't taking responsibility for your children or you couldn't afford it or whatever the beliefs were that I think it was mainly that we couldn't afford it but actually we could have done there would have been sacrifice in other ways but it would have been I think sacrificing other stuff like holidays possessions clothes Mm. haircuts Mm -hmm. uh, meals out in order to have peace of mind around your childcare, in order to feel better is worth it really really is really is so that's number one uh number two you do you do you Mm. (laughs) you do you don't like it's a comparison thing but we are all so different and you need to be the best you not the best somebody else and and that will mean having to spend some time by yourself re-energizing yeah um and the final thing is what you said earlier good enough good enough parenting and actually perfection it's hard as a child it's hard to live up to a perfect mum it really it really really is so and it's hard for future partners to live up to if you've had a perfect if you've had a perfect mum gosh who are you going to end up with and what expectations are you going to put on on them Oh, that, that is a really good point and something I think is really important to say is, uh, and I remember reading it in a book once that someone had gone over to someone's for, for dinner and halfway through the meal, they had to go upstairs to the loo, the bathroom was upstairs and they found the mum clearing up their 14-year-old's bedroom and making their bed and stuff. And he just looked at her and said, I feel really sorry for your son's future wife. Mm. And she mm-hmm. just went pale and went, oh, crap. Hmm. And yeah, you are training your children for their future partner. So you're doing hmm. a favor for their future partner. You know, do not train kids to expect you to be at their beck and call for them to expect everything to be perfect and for them, you know, not to have to take any responsibility for themselves because otherwise what sort of adults are you going to turn them into, right? We should have some kind of slogan like, you know, be crap so your be crap so your so your future uh, daughter or son-in-law gets an gets an easier time. Be crap your in-laws will, your future in-laws will love it or something. I think we probably need to work on that slogan. That's that is a better social media slogan, Karina, than the whole kitten. Um, oh, you only get eighteen summers left with them. It's all fluffy. It's just like make sure you're crap enough for the future <laughs> that their future partner gets to be a human really yeah. i mean truthfully yeah 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 <laughs> be human oh yeah i know well, if any listener can come up with some good slogans let us know we'll post it in the facebook group that would be really good so yeah oh well right Quinn, we'll have to get you back to talk about this more because there's endless stuff we could talk about but thank you Let's so much it. and Quinn, i know you work with people a lot around relationships and decisions and parenting so if someone wants to contact you where can they go they should come to KarinaGordonBarnes.com. I'll spell that C-O-R-R-I-N-A. That's the Bob Dylan way. Karina Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N, Barnes, B-A-R-N-E-S.com. It's been wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much. Go well You're and welcome. speak soon. Speak soon. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, we provide a self-coaching CPD workbook for every episode. You can sign up for it via the link in the show notes. And if this episode was helpful, then please share it with a friend. Get in touch with any comments or suggestions at hello at youarenotafrog.com. I love to hear from you. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it and leave a review wherever you're listening. It really helps. Bye for now.